0: Hello, my name is Jonathan Antoine. I'm a Dene from Ketikwe First Nations that is located in the Daychil region of the Northwest Territories. I am the producer and host of All Ages, All Voices podcast brought to you by the Daychil First Nations and the Daychil Collaborative on Permafrost Project based at Wilfrid Laurier University. The main goal of All Ages, All Voices podcast is to highlight the role of Dene environmental stewardship in the face of climate change related impacts. In this episode, I talked to Denise Nakeko. Here is the conversation. Uh, why is Indigenous knowledge important when it comes to climate change? I adhere
1: strongly to the words of Sheila Wat Clute. Sheila Wat Clute says that Indigenous knowledge is the medicine the world needs. And this is something I wholeheartedly believe in. Um, we're dealing with the climate crisis there's a huge disparity between the rich and the poor we're dealing with uh, racism sexism all sorts of things and issues and problems we're facing in this modern world and a lot of it has to do with this uh, with colonization and white supremacy and uh Canada and the United States, was founded on the Doctrine of Discovery, which is a papal bull by the, put up by the Vatican in the late 1490s. And basically it says that if you're a Christian nation, then it's your duty to take over any non-Christian lands and subjugate all non-Christian peoples. So basically what happens, you have a two-tier system. have Christians and non-Christians. Basically, that means it's like code for white people and anybody else that's not white. And this is the foundation of the United States and Canada. And this is the beginnings of white supremacy, which white supremacy basically is that there's a certain group of people out there that feel that they're more superior, more smarter than everybody else. So since they're superior and smarter, it's their duty to help all those people that are inferior, not as smart. And this has been going on for over 500 years in North America. <clears throat> and this archaic way of thinking, this colonial mindset, um, is the reason why we have uh, white supremacy, a reason why we have racism, reason why we have sexism, and definitely the degradation of, uh, of our environments and ecosystems. Uh, because of the doctrine discovery, it's also said that indigenous knowledge systems and indigenous knowledge is inferior and primitive. So there's no use in spending time and learning in that because it's a figment of the past. We got to go along with this Western science kind of uh, thinking. So... These are the reasons why things are the way they are today. If you connect the dots, you can create these colonial constellations of why things are the way they are, and uh, and then it's a separation. They're like there's like scientific knowledge and traditional knowledge, and traditional knowledge is relegated to the past uh, and as something seen as something inferior, not as important, not as uh, as uh, not as important, or not as the same level of scientific knowledge. As always, seems like scientific knowledge is a lot more, a little bit higher uh, than traditional knowledge. So this is the thinking of the colonial mindset, and we're all trapped into that mindset. Especially if you're deep into the academic world, um, you're being indoctrinated, and even your conditioning has conditioned. So it's hard for you to look outside of that but indigenous knowledge is science science is indigenous knowledge science has to do with the observation analyzing that those observation that data and then synthesizing it into something of a hypothesis and that's indigenous knowledge and that's all what we've been doing for the last thousands of years but with this colonial mindset there's this individualistic type of Um, thinking you're always separated from the environment you're separated from everything indigenous knowledge systems takes a holistic approach where you're not a part of it you're not away from it but you're definitely part of the system you're a part of the whole so from an indigenous Denny perspective nature out there doesn't need humans if humans were off the face of the earth, actually, I think the earth would do a lot better. Uh, so nature doesn't need us. We need nature. Uh, and there's a special relationship there that is lost within this colonial mindset that's been, that's been put out there. So when it comes to climate change, you're, you're kind of looking at it from a colonial perspective. It, you're just kind of separating it from everything else what can we do about climate change as it's a separate thing? But climate change is connected to how we think about things and how we do things. So when you say, you know, how does indigenous knowledge, how can indigenous knowledge help with climate change? I think what would help is to do away with this archaic colonial way of thinking and then really kind of look into and elevate indigenous knowledge systems, especially when it comes to land-based and water-based and animal-based knowledge systems. Um, And that we have to redo a lot of things that um, we're so used to and conditioned to to use. So uh, it's a big, deep kind of a philosophical answer and a native way of answering something, taking the long way around. But uh, basically, um, I'm a... I adhere strongly to the words of Sheila Waikute is that indigenous knowledge is the medicine the world needs because this colonial way of operating is the sickness that is causing all these things, not only climate change, but racism, sexism, and this disparity between rich and poor. All those things are connected. So if you connect all those dots, you can create this colonial constellation of why things are the way they are. So um, we have to listen to our elders and we have to listen to our harvesters and the people that are out on the land because they see the changes, they live the changes, and uh, uh, and then I think that's the path forward to trying to figure out this crisis that these colonial systems have put us in or something like that.
0: Awesome. Yeah, yeah I always, like, it's amazing our, our parents just know that Mm -hmm. and they totally taught us taught us that Mm -hmm. the indigenous way is is probably the best uh the best tool to like move the human race forward
1: well as dene if we take a step back we have still tell stories about giant beavers Um, And this is the the thing about Western science, the way of looking at things and our indigenous knowledge systems that are tied to our storytelling. Um, As Denny, we have stories of giant beavers. And one of our major figures in in, in our, uh, you know, in our past was Yamoria or Yamoja. And he was a lawmaker and the broker of peace. But we have stories of giant beavers here. Um, So, in the Western knowledge scientific system, they can go out there, find fossils, uh, find big huge skeletons of giant beavers, they can carbon date to figure out how long ago they were. So, Western science can confirm that in prehistoric times there were giant beavers because of fossils and they can use scientific methods to uh, figure out when that happened with carbon dating. But that's pretty much about the extent of the knowledge uh, Western science can have. In Indigenous knowledge systems, because of our storytelling, we have knowledge of giant beavers. So we know that there are giant beavers, and we know there are giant beavers from the past. But within our storytelling tradition, we know the behavior of those giant beavers. Western science can say, oh, confirm, yes, there were giant beavers. This is when they were here because of carbon dating, but because of that they can't really figure out how they behaved or how they interacted with humans, but because of our Indigenous knowledge systems, our storytelling, we can confirm that yes, there were giant beavers here, but because of our storytelling, we know how they behaved and we know how they interacted with humans because those are in our stories. So both knowledge systems can confirm that there were actually prehistoric beasts or animals that were giant beavers. Western science can confirm the date through carbon dating, but because of our storytelling and because of our traditional passing on traditional knowledge, we in our knowledge system we have knowledge of how they behaved and how they interacted with humans. And if you go to the Prince of Wales Northern Heritage Centre in uh, Yellowknife, there's a giant beaver skull that's dated to 10,000 years ago. If you go to the University of Oregon in Oregon, uh, within their natural History Little Museum on campus, uh, they have a huge uh, giant beaver fossil skeleton that's like 15 feet high. And that was dated 13,000 years ago. So this is how long we've been telling our stories. In fact, we've been telling these stories even longer than that, excuse me. This is how long we've been telling these stories. In fact, we've been telling these stories even longer than that. So as Dene, our presence here on this part of the world has at least been 10,000, 13,000 years ago and us doing that storytelling tradition where if you go to Yellowknife, if you go to Toledo, The people there are still telling the stories of yamoja or Yamoria, and the stories of giant beavers. So this is a little example of the two knowledge systems um, and how they may could work together, but maybe how they, some can be, you can get a little bit more knowledge and information from one knowledge system as opposed to another. The scientific community can go pitch posh. That's primitive, and you're just that's myth making. But uh, you know, there's another fancy word for myth making. It's called hypothesis. So either or, you can have huge philosophical debates. But uh, since I'm from here, and that knowledge goes to at least 13,000 years ago. That's about you know eight to eleven thousand years before someone even started to keep track of the date because we're 2022. And that's like, it was 10,000. That was before the the pyramids. That was before Jesus. That was before Buddha. Uh, But that's just one story. So we have so many stories that go a lot further back than that. So when it comes to the emphasis of indigenous knowledge systems, um, um, they're not primitive, Uh, They are figments of the past, but those figments of the past help us to understand why we are here today and the importance of carrying on those stories for future generations. Um, And it's a holistic approach that's tied not only to knowledge of the land, but our presence on there and how we conduct ourselves. And that goes connects to our spirituality, um, being able to feed the fire, and thank the spirits of the land and the ancestors for the opportunity to be here. So this is just a little bit of example of the a compare, comparing and contrasting between Western knowledge systems and Indigenous knowledge systems, specifically Denny ways of knowing, or something like that.
0: What What do you do, and and what do you strive for?
1: Uh, well, I'm a uh, De and Denisu Kenai Denne from Denende. Um, my dad's Dacho De Denne, um, born in Rabbitskin. Um you know, he's a leader here in Pitkiwan. Uh, my mom comes from Klutsoke on the east side of Tunehda, also known as the Great Slave Lake, which is a terrible name, but uh, in my mom's language the big lake's called Tunehda and she's from Klutsoke, which is formerly Snowdrift. So she's as well, too. Uh, So I've been lucky to have uh, relatives and connections um, in both different places. Um, But my dad has been a leader, um, and I grew up uh, with the Dene Nation and with the Indian Brotherhood. So I remember being a baby underneath the tables of all the meetings and running around as a snotty-nosed little Dene kid. And uh, now I'm a snotty-nosed DNA adult. <laughs> but uh, I also uh, went to school, so my background is journalism and broadcasting. Uh, I did some time at the CBC APTN, and uh, I used to be the program uh, manager for CKLB Radio. Um, but I've kind of transitioned from that, um, utilizing those skill set Uh, I guess to be more of a workshop facilitator uh, specializing in cultural competency, cultural awareness, and cultural safety from an Indigenous perspective. Um, And uh, working with uh, Indigenous youth in the North for uh, leadership abilities and leadership skills. I'm one of the founding members of Deninawo. And uh, through Denenawo, we were able to do a lot of different programming um, at the, the moment of the recording of this podcast, uh, we're currently on the other side of the Liard River from Tlilquan, um, um putting on a, a hide camp. Um, and through Deninawo, we're in the business of creating safe Indigenous spaces for Indigenous folks to connect or reconnect to those things that we should already know, but has been disrupted by colonization um, and we build those safe um, Indigenous spaces so people can feel vulnerable enough to make mistakes, to learn all, a lot of these things that we should already know. But hopefully that safe Indigenous space can help build cultural confidence in individuals so uh, they'll have enough confidence uh, to carry on a lot of these connections and reconnections on their, uh, on their own uh, and work with other people. Um, so, in a nutshell, basically, yeah, that's my background and that's what I do, and uh, my area of comfort where I work is in the north, in the circumpolar world. Um, when it comes to climate change and the degradation of our, of our waters and our land and the melting of permafrost. Um, i think the scope should be widened not only just to look here in the northwest territories but the whole circumpolar world so scandinavia russia uh, greenland iceland alaska nunavut nunavik um, there we're all we're all similar there's a variety of different indigenous folks within that area but there's a lot of commonalities in our relationship with the land um to help develop our culture and our language. But the two animals that connect all the circumpolar peoples is caribou and reindeer. Um, A lot of people in the circumpolar world um, have a strong connection with caribou and reindeer, which are cousins. So because they're cousins, I think a lot of the indigenous folks in the circumpolar world are cousins as well, too, uh, because of our similarities. And speaking with Sammy, speaking with people from Alaska uh, and Nunavut and Greenland, um, we're really concerned about our animals and the land. Um, And we're the canary in the coal mine when it comes to climate change and global warming. Uh, We're feeling the impacts the hardest, and we're feeling the impacts the most. And it's causing great concern um, for our harvesters and for our elders, Usually, when you go out on the land, uh, out on the land, away from towns and communities, being out on the land is like uh, um, like a place of uh, a solace, a place of like refuge, a place where you can relax and feel good, and uh, and kind of kind of replenish and recharge your spirit. Um, But now, it's difficult for a lot of people to travel. They're not sure about the waterways in the wintertime, freeze up. Um, There's places where we used to go where we can't go anymore. So, you know, going out on the land was like a a place where we can feel good, but those places are now causing anxiety and causing concerned So there is an elevated level of echo anxiety when it comes to a lot of our harvesters, our land users and our elders. And um, there's a lot of concern out there. And it's really hard to convey that for people. So if there are researchers or academics or people trying to further their education within the academic world, you have to do more than just talk to people and just write papers you have to come up here and you have to see it and you have to feel those concerns in order to do the work that needs to be done. Uh, instead of just getting all your letters behind your name uh, to make you, to, bo- to boost yourself up as a learned and, and educated person. If you're a part of this world, then uh, you definitely should be part of the solution. So not only should you just worry about getting your degree, uh, you, gotta, you have some skin in the game. So you're part, of, yeah, you're part of this world. So you have to roll up your sleeves, and you're going to have to do the hard work and be a part of the solution. If you're going to be participating in this colonial system, then you're just going to be an obstacle and part of the problem.
0: Right on. So don't be part of the problem.
1: Yeah. It takes five seconds. Five seconds. Every individual, all you need is five seconds. You just got to ask yourself, am I going to be part of the problem or am I going to be part of the solution? And that's not for me or anybody else to tell you. That's what you have to decide on your own. For myself as an individual... I'm going to be part of the solution, and I'm going to do the work that needs to be done to try to make things better, and to bring a broader understanding and awareness to the rest of the world. So hopefully, you know, they can, uh, you know, get out of their colonial lull, and um, and and come to a realization that you're a human being breathing the same air as other human beings in this world. And we all have a part to play um, when it comes to this. So five seconds, are you gonna be part of the problem? Or are you gonna be part of the solution?